I would say Andy, the, the calf that escaped the barn fire that we were uh, caring for every single day. We were literally cleaning him every day, putting on ointment on his burns, laying him onto a memory foam mattress every single night, singing him lullabies. Ultimately, he, he passed away from an infection. That was a really hard time of my life. He kind of triggered a depression. I lost 40 pounds. It, it was grief. It, it was hurt. I was also getting out of a, a very serious relationship. I actually was in such a dark, dark place. I attempted suicide because of it. Welcome back to another episode of the Plant-Based News Podcast. This week, I'm incredibly delighted to welcome to the podcast animal advocate and founder of Barn Sanctuary, Dan McKinnon. Dan's journey of animal advocacy goes back a few years when he decided to leave a successful, high-paying job in the tech industry in Austin, Texas. He decided to return to his home in rural Michigan and was intent on transforming his family's 140-year-old farm into a safe haven for farmed animals. This is how, in 2016, Barn Sanctuary was formed. Barn Sanctuary is in Chelsea, Michigan and is dedicated to rescuing and rehabilitating abused and neglected farmed animals in need. It is currently home to over 100 rescued farmed animals which reside within the 70-acre property. Barn Sanctuary exemplifies Dan's mission to change the way the world views farmed animals and helps lead society towards a more compassionate and plant-based lifestyle. In 2020, Dan starred in Animal Planet's popular series Saved by the Bell alongside his father and his twin brother Chris, highlighting all the incredible work they do to rescue and rehabilitate animals. Only this year, Dan released a new children's book entitled This Farm is a Family, which brings awareness to the struggles of rescued farmed animals. In the picture book, the rescue farm animals at Barn Sanctuary decide to help Buttercup the cow, who is dealing with fear and anxiety in her new home. Despite Buttercup's resistance and fear, the animals rally together to show Buttercup love. The animals help Buttercup discover that she is now part of the family. Through this adorable illustrated portrayal, Dan hopes that the book will teach children about compassion and helping others during hard times. I'm incredibly excited, overjoyed, and overwhelmed, to be honest, to welcome Dan McKinnon to the PBN podcast. He's a dear friend of mine, and I've been following him and supporting him for many, many years. His conversation with me was deep, intense at times, and deeply moving. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Dan is an incredible man. He's doing wonderful things for animals. So if you can please go and support him and his work over at Barn Sanctuary, I would genuinely appreciate it. As always, if you like this episode, please don't forget to comment, like, and share. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Welcome down to the podcast. So great to uh, finally sit down with you, my friend, and hear your story. Hey, Rob. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to finally join you on the podcast. And I have to say, nice mustache. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> my name is Dan McKernan, and I'm the founder of Barn Sanctuary. We rescue farm animals from cases of abuse, neglect, and natural disasters. And they come to our farm, get rehabilitated, and live out the rest of their natural lives. Three years ago, I was working for a tech company in Austin, Texas. I was making six figures, and then my dad gave me a call. He asked me what we should do with the family farm, and I knew what I had to do with my life. So I quit my job, I moved up to Michigan, and turned my family farm into a sanctuary for farm animals. And today, because of Barn Sanctuary, the animals, this farm, and my family have a whole new life. I traded a good living for a great life, but it's so much harder. <laughs> Before we get started, I always like to ask my guests this one first question, which is what brought us together when really is how did you find and discover the vegan and plant-based lifestyle? Where did this all begin for you? It actually began over eight years ago while living in Austin, Texas, and I was working in technology. As you know, Austin, Texas has a lot of plant-based food, very, very uh, vegan friendly for sure. And so I was out there working in tech and uh, my partner at the time, uh, sat me down over dinner because we were living with each other. And she said, hey, Dan, I'm going vegan. I was just like, okay, that's great. I'm not going to at that time. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'm afraid of you and I'm never going to try to tell you what to do. So you do you. We cook together anyways. It's going to go great. But then uh, over the course of a few months, actually, she uh, slid in some documentaries like uh, Cowspiracy was one of the most important ones I've watched. Let's look at the fundamental problem here. No one wants to talk about it. Because they're, they're membership organizations, you know, a lot of them. They're looking to maximize the number of people making contributions. 
leading cause of environmental degradation is. Um, we uh, need to address that as well. It's not up to the Department of Water Resources. Hard to actually target like one thing. After looking at our Great Dane dog, Luna, and looking at cows, I was just like, there's literally no difference. And, you know, I went vegan basically on the spot after making that realization. So, yeah, I, I, I went vegan t uh, for the animals. I, I don't necessarily know what it is. There's suppression and mismanagement of information everywhere. It abounds. It starts at the local level, but then it goes all the way to Congress. When you consider the devastation it's having on our planet as well as the oceans. And we're in the middle of the largest mass extinction of species in 65 million years. And they can dictate the federal policies because they have so much political power. And one of the largest industries on the planet with the biggest environmental impact trying to keep us in the dark about how it's operating. That's the one thing no one talks about. You know, everybody goes around that. Unfortunately, we are no longer able to fund your film project. We had a meeting, and due to the growing controversial subject matter, we have some concerns that have to pull out. You're going up against people that have massive legal resources, and you have nothing. A lot of people just keep their mouths shut because they don't want to be the next one with the bullet to their head. I don't know that I would want to comment on that. One thing I'm so fascinated about, particularly um, in men and particularly in the United States, is eating meat is associated so heavily with masculinity and manliness and that male yeah. ego, really. How did you manage to detach yourself from that? Because it's a very powerful social conditioning, isn't it? Obviously, Dr. Melanie Joy talks about carnism, but we are, as as people, particularly young men, very socialized. The consumption of meat is entwined with our masculinity and our manliness. I think for, for the most part, many men are terrified of, of not eating meat because they're worried they might lose their manliness. So how did you work through that in your mind? Because obviously, you, you know, growing up in the US and being part of that culture, there has to have been a bit of sort of pushback from any friends or family. Um, obviously, it's a very friendly state, uh, vegan friendly state, as you said, but, you know, talk me through that that mindset shift. Being a man to me at the time, yeah, I, I grew up eating meat every single day. It was part of my, my diet uh, is what my parents cooked me. Well, for instance, people would ask like, where do you get your protein, you know? Cause I'm a, I'm a fairly large dude, I'm like 6'3", 220. When I first started being vegan, I was also 6'3", 220. And <laughs> so I tell people, I'm like, I, I never really ever count how much protein I take in or I don't count carbs, I don't do any of this. I just make sure I eat healthy. At that time it was me, which has high cholesterol and whatnot. I would say I have a leaner, muscles now, but I'm, I'm the same way. Like I didn't lose any weight at all. When it comes to being a man from the emotional side, like go hunt and, you know, go kill things, go kill things <laughs> are, and especially like right now I'm surrounded by hunters here in Michigan. And wow. so I, I honestly, like there's a guy that wanted to hunt on our property and I, you know, I have to say, first off we're sanctuary, but second off, like, thanks for asking and not just doing it. But uh, I have to tell them and educate them on why I personally don't hunt. They were kind of shocked. You know, I kind of look like your typical farmer here in Michigan. And, uh, you know, they're like, so what do you hunt then? Do you hunt this property yourself since I can't? And I'm like, no, nah, man, I don't hunt. I, I rescue farm animals. Hopefully that gives a hint. Talk me through their faces, the facial expressions when, they, when you were saying oh, all of this. A confusion. Very, uh, very confused. I find these type of interactions as opportunities to plant seeds because I don't want to tell them to screw off and don't ever come back here again. What are you doing? You're killing animals constantly. I, I choose it as an opportunity to almost befriend them, to educate mm -hmm. them. Something I can find in common with them is uh, beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I always say, let's go grab a beer or something like that. Uh, and if he wants to chat more and I can be a resource as information, but it's confused. And, you know, we depart in respecting ways because it's a very mm -hmm. common practice for people to, uh, knock on someone's door to ask to hunt on their land, which is really weird. 
It is weird. It's it's sort of. I mean, it is weird, and it isn't because I think it's so ingrained within the culture that people don't see it as a problem. Because it's like, well, why wouldn't you let me walk in your land and remove animals that you might think of as pests? Right. Um, it's the same here in the UK. People do have the right to wander around farmland. We call it rambling, where people oh, go, wow. where people walk freely through uh, what are they called by bypaths or um, public walkways. Obviously, people don't hunt technically because it's against the law we don't you're not allowed to hunt for for the most part there's nothing left on this island uh, the uk <laughs> is one of the most nature deprived places in europe unfortunately because of hunting because of animal agriculture but we'll get into that but what a fascinating story like so interesting to hear that there were so many people around you kind of surrounded by the very thing that you are working to change right um yeah does it ever feel overwhelming at all that you are a sort of like this you know fish out of water this um yeah, yeah, it, it it's overwhelming. I mean, I would be lying if it didn't if I said it didn't make me feel uncomfortable. You know, I, I try to lead by example of how to be a I guess a man, especially like my family has they've been in this town for over 140 years, so everyone understands the last name. So out here people sell animals at they call them livestock markets, and there's one like a mile and a half down the road from the sanctuary. I wanted to start purchasing hay and straw at a cheaper rate because we were spending a lot of money to have it delivered. And so I, I started going to the live, I hate calling it the livestock market, but like the, the auction, they sell straw and hay outside away from all the animals. But, you know, I roll up wearing a barn sanctuary shirt that says safety. <laughs> I was like, you know, eased my way into this, um, but I, I needed to get hay for the animals. And, you know, farmers will come up to me and they're like, and I need to identify hay uh, because there's alfalfa, <laughs> there's first cut, second cut. I'm starting to ask these farmers, I'm like, what's that? What's that? And they're like, well, what are you feeding? And I'm like, uh, and this is like a 70 year old farmer. And I was just like, oh, cows. He's like, oh, well, you're going to need alfalfa because you need to fatten them up, huh? I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> not exact so sometimes i don't want to have the conversation but i do have the conversation even though it feels uncomfortable but i know it it plants seeds and stuff like that so i got our fifth rescue here and you know what his name is his name is adam and look at those ears they're so adorable so adam was our fifth rescue back in january of 2017 he was actually rescued with his brother uh, his name is Matt, and they were actually jumped off a transport truck in Myland, Michigan, and we were contacted. And so we rescued the both of them. Sadly, Matt had a ruptured gallbladder, and you know, it was really tough because we did take care of him for a little while, but it was ir it wasn't it was irreversible. So Adam now is a few years old and he's kicking butt. He's huge, he's amazing. There's all these amazing old videos of him as a piglet, especially one that I absolutely adore and love is when he's like running on my chest and I give him a little boop. And so, yes, Adam was our fifth rescue here at Barn Sanctuary and we have uh, 130 rescued animals. Well, let's go back a bit because, you know, you are on a sanctuary, but how the heck did you get there? Because obviously, you know, you as you said, you were in the tech world, corporate, right? Corporate world. Mm -hmm. I mean, did you wear a suit and a tie and was super oh, man. smart? I, I came straight out of like uh, the TV show Silicon Valley. Uh, <laughs> like literally, wow. I, I looked like the tech startup nerd. I'll have to send you a photo. Uh, well, I worked yeah. out of a WeWork. <laughs> well, so what were you doing in the tech world? Like, tell us a little bit, a little brief sort of, you know, yeah. intro uh, to what kind of stuff you were doing. I did a lot of growth marketing and I also did user experience design and front end development. Okay. Yeah. I used to I, be a UX designer as well. I, I enjoyed it. And specifically, I, I did it for by creating a platform to help fundraise for nonprofits, which ultimately helped Barn Sanctuary and us uh, to fundraise online, I think. 
That's so. amazing. Um, yeah, similar path to myself as well. I'm, I'm using my digital skills to advocate online and build a media platform. So it's so great that you've been able to take your previous skills and use them and apply them. And, and it really shows, you know, in your work and it shows in your platform, but we'll get into that. But how did it begin? Like, let's go back to the beginning. How did you go from this tech nerd to being the founder of a sanctuary, which is, you know, very, yeah. very different worlds? Like, you know, how talk us through that process. After making the decision to go to go vegan. At this time in my life, I was kind of getting bored from working at the same company. I really wanted to do something different that I'm passionate about, and I wanted to obsess over something. At that time, I don't know how Gene Bauer, uh, the founder of Farm Sanctuaries, his book came in front of me or anything like that, but I read it and I thought to myself, huh, I could do this. I could start a farm animal rescue. At that time, I enjoyed just creating business plans for fun. I wanted to create my own tech startup someday. Uh, I was I was working on it. Out of the blue, my dad called me and said, hey, we should do something with the farm. Just not sure what. All my siblings really didn't come back with any ideas that stuck. Uh, I think my older brother came back with like a vineyard. But you don't grow wine right outside Detroit. And so... <laughs> And that, yeah, all sorts. My, my twin brother's like, sell the Walmart. And I was just like, no, that's awful. And I came up with the idea to uh, start a farm animal rescue. When we think of farms, we often picture cows, pigs, and chickens who are used for their milk or meat. But what about a place where each animal has been rescued and has a name and a story of their own? There is a place, and it's here in Michigan. ABC 12's Kristen Sklad, it takes us to Barn Sanctuary. Meet Henry and Cora, the newest residents at Barn Sanctuary. On this Chelsea farm, these calves won't be pumped for milk or slaughtered for meat. Instead, they'll spend their entire lives grazing in the grass and enjoying hand-fed treats. We're trying to create a farm animal sanctuary for farm animals that come from bad situations, whether it's neglect or natural disasters, uh, also just farm factories in general to help educate the public. And just like Henry and Cora, who were saved from a mid-Michigan auction, hundreds of animals will eventually be rescued and brought to barn sanctuary from not only around the state, but across the country. We have a rooster and a hen on their way probably next week. Uh, rooster's name is Bart, and the hen's name is Salem. And they're coming from a, just a local rescue of uh, uh, abandonment, pretty much. And then in about three weeks, we're getting Jasper the pig, who's a two-year-old, 650-pound pig from Vermont. And with the McKernan's old barn having sat vacant for decades, Dan knew he could find a better use for it. So with the help of his dad, the property's 70 acres are in the process of being completely converted. And I had no idea. Uh, I had no exposure to the animal rights community or veganism online or anything because I wasn't posting. I was just like, I just want to do this because the farm has been in our family for 140 years. It's been sitting there and rotting away and to do something really special on it. That's kind of how I came about doing it. Well, that's beautiful. Uh, farming has also been in my family as well for many years. And yeah, I, I definitely know the challenges involved in creating yeah. something like this. Yeah. Did you really have any idea what you were getting yourself into? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I knew how nonprofits functioned. I didn't know that, you know, I thought it was going to be a rescue, small ma and pa type place. But I didn't realize, you know, when you post videos on the internet, they go viral really fast, especially when you're with farm animals that have been rescued and uh, you can tell their stories. And so that like now we're a very we're a larger nonprofit. I, I had no idea. I have a full staff now. That's it's, amazing. It's you must be very a, proud of it. I must be very proud yeah. of yourself. I, I'm yeah. super proud of you know, my dad, myself, uh, the team, uh, I love the staff. We wouldn't be able to give such great medical care to these animals without the staff. Just want to give you an update. We went to Michigan State University and the little dude here had a great checkup. Uh, as for the general health of a piglet, he's super healthy. He gained 0.8 pounds in just about four days. He's eating a lot, he's super energetic. So as for his overall health, he's doing amazing. As for his hind leg, the bone is still 
deteriorating slowly because of the bacterial infection. Because of this, we have to make sure he's still on antibiotics and hopefully we can slow that down. So in the next three to four weeks, we'll be watching him closely, making sure he heals up. And at that time, we'll know if we need to amputate or not. So talk us through like the process of what happens on a, on a sanctuary and also animal rescue as well. You, you say on your Instagram that you rescue farmed animals. Talk us through a couple of the stories and then explain, it would, I'd love to hear you explain like what happens when the animals arrive on the sanctuary and, and how they fit into this world. Because obviously it needs to be very carefully organized and planned and a lot of important things need to happen. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what life is like on a sanctuary. You know, I'll give you a little two scenarios. Early on in the sanctuary, a rescue and then how a rescue works now. <laughs> because they're a little different. Way back when, probably in 2017, I rescued uh, this beautiful calf. His name's Mike. I got him about an hour north from the sanctuary, and I was told that he had crooked legs that were swollen. Uh, I show up to the farm, and the farmer's like, oh, yeah, he's got crystals in his eyes. And I, t- I talked to the farmer, who's really old, who has somewhat of crystals in his eyes. And I'm like, they're cataracts. <laughs> so Mike was actually losing his eyesight. and so. First things first, any new rescue we get, they go straight to the hospital just to get full diagnostics done. We want to make sure they don't have any diseases or uh, viruses that can transfer to the other animals. Also, we want to make sure that whatever issues they have, we can treat at that hospital. And so that's what we did with Mike. And that's how we found out his retinas were detaching. I asked the, you know, ophthalmologist, which took me forever to learn how to say, the eye doctor, He's like, yeah, they're, they're going to detach and he's going to go blind. And I was just like, well, okay, what do you do for a person or like your cat, dog, horse? It's like, oh, we'd simply reattach it. I'm like, oh, that's great. Simply. Let's do it. And he's like, well, but we don't do that here. That's a little isn't, isn't, isn't an eye an eye? Like, an eyeball is an eyeball. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked. But they were, they were pretty firm on not doing it there because they've never done it. Uh, I don't think anyone really attempted to to reattach a retina from a cow before. So I called around the entire United States and I found like a board certified ophthalmologist that was willing to do the surgery. One thing was she was located in Pasadena, California. I'm in Michigan. That's a 36 hour road trip. (laughs) So Mike hopped into the van with me. We drove all the way across the United States to have that surgery. That must have been real tough. That journey. Yeah, it was tough, but also just fun. (laughs) Um, Mike was a baby, so he was very small in this, uh, you know, cargo van and stuff. And, you know, I slept in the van and like, he'd wake up and just hovering over me. It was pretty funny. You know, sadly the surgery didn't work out, but I was able to take Mike out to Malibu and on some pretty cool, uh, destinations across the United States. I was also invited onto the Ellen show while I was out there. So uh, that was, uh, pretty amazing. Mike's doing great now. He is about six years old. He gets around just amazing. He's got wonky horns, one that goes up, one that goes down. And so that was a success. Still blind, unfortunately. He's still blind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But managers, animals are incredibly resilient, aren't they? Like when they suffer some kind of injury, they are able to go. I mean, that's, that's one thing that I find so remarkable about them that you know, in even in the greatest amounts of suffering, they they're able to persevere and continue. We often, you know, amongst my friends and our fellow advocates talk about animals being childlike beings, aren't they? They're kind of we share this beautiful world with these sort of childlike beings. And you know, that's one of the hardest parts. And I'm just sort of getting emotional thinking about it, because I've obviously been touched by so many of your videos. I mean, just the emotional connection between you and the animals and your love for them. Yeah, it's just like, it's the purest form of humanity. Because, you know, that for me is the greatest gift that we can give animals, which is our love and our compassion, you know, and a man driving 36 hours across a country for a cow. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's like the stuff of, I don't know, it's just the stuff of fairy tales. People just don't, you just don't see that in this world. You know, such a beautiful act of compassion is is remarkable, Dan. So I, I can't even thank you enough for all the work that you do for animals. It's, it's really quite incredible. Thank you. Yeah, it was a... Uh... It was unbelievable. Mike taught me how resilient he can be, how farm animals and any living individual can be really resilient and show trust and love. And he still shows that. 
which is amazing. So how are things now with farm rescues? You obviously got a lot of new processes and way to support yeah, the process. Processes. So like how, yeah, yeah. How does how do things work in today's world? Because I went on a bunch of rescues early on and every time I would go out, there would be another animal in need on the farm. And so Dan would always show up with more animals. <laughs> and that got to the staff after a while. So now there's an approval process. I get calls probably on average about four to five calls a day. Anything from wildlife to, you know, cats and dogs to pot bellies and then to farm animals. And we're unable to like rescue all the animals because then we turn into a hoarding case. And, you know, I I always have the saying is that every animal has the right to graze so that they have space. You know, we have a lot of animals and they ate all the grass and they can't graze, then we have too many animals, too many residents at the sanctuary. So now I talk to our shelter director, who's awesome, Alicia. She uh, gauges her staff. We want to make sure that the staff can take that extra bandwidth because we want to give every uh, rescue here the same amount of care. We don't want to uh, give more care to one of our cows than our chickens. We want to gauge that and of course, housing, if there's a stall available, we, we make sure we quarantine all the new residents uh, for 30 days uh, just to make sure they're healthy. And then we try to figure out where to introduce them. All the animals have different personalities, just like humans. And one day they're in a good mood. The other day they're in a crappy mood and they want to beat or bully one of the other residents. And so we're constantly making the shuffle of where the animals need to be. We, we make sure there's uh, a good buddy system for them in place. And so it's really complicated. (laughs) Mm, It's amazing. It does sound like you've developed a well-oiled machine, but I can imagine it comes with all kinds of uh, challenges, as you say, because animals like human beings can be incredibly unpredictable. And I think that's something I often remind people is that, you know, animals are individuals. They have their own thoughts and feelings. They dream, they see the world in all the most beautiful colors like we do, some even with more ability than we do. Some creatures can see the world in, you know, in ways that we cannot. But I think fundamentally, the way human beings are brought up and socialized to see animals as objects is clearly part of the problem and is one it is one of the things i guess that we're working to try and change with our advocacy and for me sanctuaries are one of the best places for people to come who live in cities who've never experienced animals who can see animals as individuals with their own personalities because for many people the only interaction they've ever had with cows is a steak so, you know, when people see cows up close, what I, one of my, my favorite sort of things is the size of cows. They cannot oh. get over how big these animals are, but also how beautiful and how gentle and how majestic they are. I'd love to hear, do you have any stories of people who've come to the sanctuary who sort of, you know, have articulated their, their feelings about animals? Have you really had, had any sort of people have any realizations or, or anything interesting that's gone on between people and animals on the sanctuary? It was probably about four years ago. Um, I rescued a calf from a a burning building. He broke free from a barn and his name was Andy. He's adorable. was adorable. He still is adorable. He's cute. I have a rock right here that, you know, that kid painted. (laughs) (laughs) But he uh, captured the hearts of tens of thousands of people across the world, I would say. And uh, during a tour, we offer public tours on the weekends. There was a guy with the strongest North Carolina accent in in the world. And what's, what's uh, a North Carolina? Give us a little taste. There's like of a it. twang to it, and it's like it's it's a little higher. I can't even do it. Okay. I'm really bad with accents. <laughs> but uh, he showed up to the farm, and I drove from North Carolina just to meet Andy. Oh wow! And he talked to me, and after he met with Andy, I mean, this guy was crying. And For context, was, it's North Carolina, quite a long way away. Yeah, I would say it's about 12 hours Oh, away. wow. Maybe wow. 8 to 12. It depends. Depends on the route. Depends long, on a long which journey. animal I'm transporting. Long journey. And so this guy, uh, he started crying. And he's probably like his mid-30s. He's like, I eat steak every day. I'm like, first off, how are you alive? And then, <laughs> but like, second, and he's just like, after meeting Andy, I'm done eating steaks. I can't wow. do it. It just, I had no idea. I had no idea. And I, I told him... Uh, I was like, let's go meet the other cows. I want you to meet some of the, I want you to meet Mike. I want you to meet Cora and Henry. That moment changed his life. He had a huge realization there. Uh, and it was pretty beautiful to witness. You get that a lot. I get that a lot from just our content on the internet. People 
DMing us saying, you know, I'm vegan now because of how you treat the animals because of what you share online. That's so beautiful. Honestly, I I talk about this a lot on the podcast is the unlocking of realization. Uh, And that can be done through a film. It can be done through a piece of content on social media. It could be a book. It could be a conversation with a friend. Human beings, I believe, are intrinsically compassionate creatures. You know, you see with the way babies, human babies behave. Obviously, we have our psychopaths in our society where people don't feel much for others. They don't feel empathy or compassion. They're just sort of very, you know, robotic. And it happens. We've got it. We've got these type of people in our lives. But I think for the most part, human beings are genuinely compassionate creatures from birth. Uh, you know, you see this with people stopping on motorways and rescuing baby ducklings, crossing roads. You see people climbing, grown men climbing trees and pulling cats down. People love animals and we have this affinity for them. But I think the animal agriculture industry has created such a, um, a disconnect between the individuals and the animals that we love and the food that we have on our plate. And they like it that way and they keep it that way. And, you know, as this old saying goes, if all sort to houses had glass walls we would all be vegetarians or there would be more vegetarians at least anyway maybe not for the psychopaths but you know we would all be vegetarians and that's what's so beautiful about sanctuaries is that it's an opportunity to witness individual individuality and sentience you know the priceless beautiful nature of a sentient being because you know i've been around many many cars i grew up on a farm but i didn't make that connection as a child i loved animals but i was always told that i had to eat them that was normal natural necessary it was part of my life and you know when i made that connection and later looked into the eyes of a cow it's such a different experience it's such a different feeling you feel a lot you you generally feel love and i believe that's what compassion is it's that it's sort of it's like a it's like a well that comes up from inside of you and that's where the emotion comes from and i think that's why people cry because they're they're feeling love they're feeling joy they're feeling a beautiful connection with individuals but with love and with joy also comes loss and sorrow as well and they are the two sides of the same coin and it's something that we just have to deal with in life it's part of life so one of the hardest parts of having a sanctuary is is the loss of animals is the loss of individuals who have been some of your most favorites that unfortunately have lost and what was that experience like for you it must be very challenging having to almost sort of they're like family they're like your children in many ways aren't they having to deal with the with the loss of these beautiful beings that you've toiled over and sacrificed so much for um i'd love to hear a little bit about that experience for you yeah I mean, that was definitely one thing I've never, uh, I didn't think about when first starting the sanctuary was going to be the loss of the animals, the individuals. And so I've, uh, we've lost a, a, a number of, I mean, every single, uh, resident we lose, it hurts. And, you know, I would say Andy, the, the calf that, uh, escaped the barn fire that we were, uh, caring for every single day, we were literally cleaning him every day, putting on ointment on his burns, laying him onto a memory foam mattress every single night, singing him lullabies. Ultimately, he he passed away uh, from an infection. That was a really hard time of my life. Uh, that was back in 2018. He, uh, he, he kind of triggered a depression. I, I literally got depressed. I lost 40 pounds. Okay, that was the only it was time grief, I was... Wasn't it? Yeah, right. Exactly. That was the only time I was vegan and lost weight. (laughs) And so uh, it it was grief. It it was it was hurt. I was also getting out of a a very serious relationship that but yet was toxic. And uh, it was kind of like the perfect storm for me. And I actually um, I actually was in such a dark, dark place. Um, I attempted suicide because of it. It was a crazy crazy time. I, I, I felt so alone because what I was going through, I, I didn't know what else to do. You know, after, after that attempt, I, I, uh, I checked myself into a hospital for a stay and, and, um, really worked with, uh, a therapist, uh, group therapy with other people and, uh, bounced back. And so, you know, there's compassion fatigue. There is losing someone you dearly loved, whether they're human or non-human. Right. And so, uh, Andy, Andy was really important. He's got a special part in my heart. I have a massive, like Andy tattoo right here on my, uh, on my arm. But, uh, yeah, he was really important. I would say the, one of the most recent passings, you know, was, uh, man, definitely the golden girls, Blanche, who was a, a Turkey. That was amazing. Uh, she, uh, was like a lap turkey. She would come up and sit on your lap like a cat. 
and was the sweetest and she fought hard but she you know succumbed to her injuries because you know she was bred in the animal agriculture industry to be three times her the normal size of a turkey it's funny because we have wild turkeys here in michigan and they're they're bronze uh heritage turkeys out here but uh in the industry they call them broad-breasted bronze heritage turkeys and so literally we have the industry turkeys that look exactly the same as our wild ones and they can see each other sometimes walking by and it's it's unbelievable so that was tough and then around the same time uh my first rescue cora talking about unpredictable freak accidents uh cora she's probably like 1800 pound cow uh she was the mama of the cows broke her leg in a very high spot in the pasture randomly but she was completely aware. She was just sitting, chewing on her cud, which anyone, that's the number one question on TikTok. What is the what cow is chewing cut? on? And it's partially digested hay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Cora, it was just super beautiful because the entire staff could walk around and say their goodbyes. And then we humanely euthanized her. But that was really hard because I was in the middle of the work day. And then all of a sudden it's like, Dan, come to the back pasture fast. And her leg was just snapped and she couldn't recover. And it was just so sad because she wasn't sick at all. She's never had an issue. And so it was hard. It's a grieving is very hard, but it's also a very, it's a part of life that I think people uh, shouldn't be afraid to talk about as well as mental health. Uh, mm, you know, you got to talk about it. Definitely. And, you know, goes without saying, thank you for sharing your story. It's a very difficult subject to talk about. Um, For the most part, many people prefer to keep these things private and and hide from them. And I think this is part of the stigma that we have with mental health is that people, particularly men, are socialized to not talk about their problems. Men don't cry, boys don't show emotion. For me, it's one of the, the many branches of the tree of carnism, which is sort of like, you know, it's propped up by the sort of toxic masculinity that is built into our culture, which forces men to behave and act in certain ways, much, you know, mostly to their to their uh, well it endangers them endangers men for most people in this world that they're completely unaware of what's going on in the background when it comes to male mental health. Here in the UK, it's a it's a bit of an epidemic. I know it is in the US as well. It's the single biggest killer of men in the world right now, more than any single type of cancer, which is suicide, male suicide. And more than 87% of, of suicide are men. And an even more shocking statistic is that more than 89% of men that attempt to take their own lives or do take their own lives, their families didn't know about it. Their friends didn't know about it. They didn't talk to anybody. And that's the deeply troubling and and disturbing part of of the problem that we have in our society today. On the other side, for women, it's completely different because women have being socialized to talk, to allow their emotions out, to be able to cry, to connect with friends and family and have a big groups of sort of like support networks around them. Uh, And women are very good at that, whereas men are not trained to do that as children. They're not given the tools to be able to process their emotions and to deal with something like grief or deal with something like, you know, a troubling relationship. And so, you know, we live in this world where these conversations are so important because they do save lives. So I'm really honored and touched that you shared that story with me, Dan. So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. And I would be lying also, like, you know, every time I talk about it or think about it, I feel shame. And that's just me being wired as a as a male in, in society is like, oh, come on. Like, you know, it's yeah, just, man I up. feel like, yeah, man <laughs> up, man. Stop crying. Yeah. And it's just like, no, man, just cry, please. Mm, please let cry. It, out. it really helps. And it and it teaches the young. So, mm, yeah, it does. Moving on to the world of animals and the big world of animals farmed animals particularly how would you like to see a change in our world for farmed animals because they are the most abused creatures on the planet you know enslaved and killed in their billions each year what would you like the future of farmed animals to be on earth i mean you know the idea i would like to not consume or uh use animals in any way for humans but i know that's that's going to be logistically really hard to do I hope I'll see it at in my lifetime. I want to be able to help provide solutions to this picture, to this problem in my lifetime, whether it is rewilding or providing sanctuaries to existing animals that are in modern day massive factory farms. I, I think something that can immediately happen right now is is the amount of consumption, the rate you know humans are eating animals 
And then also the amount of crops that are being used for animals as well. And how farmers are robbing the ground by just having a monocrop that is literally killing the soil. I do believe in progress into the right direction. And I feel like that's how we create long term change. I've been a huge fan of they called it this regenerative agriculture. And I really think the uh, animal agriculture, the meat industry is hijacking it to uh, make it okay to consume animals. And I really believe that if everyone can adopt the practice of regenerative agriculture, and that is being a good steward of the land and the soil, is that animals are actually going to help save the earth by rotating them on pastures, on land, having them turn soil and urinate, like that's going to help regenerate farms and soil that have been robbed of their nutrients. There's barely any topsoil that we've got in the United States right now. Yeah, um, it's, um, it, we have potentially only a few harvests left of crops if we continue at the rate which we are. It's really planet wide, really. Yeah. And so I would really like to see factory farms shutting down. Would you like to see them banned? Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I'm a very compassionate human being. So I do think about all aspects, like the humans that are involved with these massive factory farms and working very hard, how to line them up with other agriculture jobs that help support the earth and the ecosystem. And it's a it's a huge initiative, but I do believe they should be banned because there's nothing good about them. And then also when you think about it, it is actually closing down small farmers. This is what I'm talking about, like finding common ground and moving the needle is like, Okay, transition from factory farms to smaller farms to teaching smaller farmers how to grow a sustainable crop where they don't need animals. And then eventually, the, you know, the main argument's like, if we go vegan tomorrow, what's going to happen to all the animals? It's, it's going to be terrible. It's, 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 <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I heard someone say that, I'd be a rich man. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm like, that's not, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> You know, it's uh, we're going to have way too many animals. It was like, well, technically we have a lot of land that they could live out the rest of their natural lives on afterwards. But yeah, it's it's how are we going to feed everyone? But I, I, I think making big steps in taking away the power that these large corporations have when it comes to um, factory farming and giving that back to the smaller farmers and then educating the smaller farmers on how to do something better. Because I think someone like myself can help educate a smaller farmer. I don't think I'm going to be able to sit down in front of a large corporation and teach them how to uh, grow soy for, you know, um, whatever. So Yeah, it's a movement that needs to happen. And Mercy for Animals have created something called the Transfarmation Project, which is a really cool title. Yeah. Um, and you, can, you can find out about that on Plant-Based News. If you just Google Transfarmation Project Plant-Based News, you get access to an in-depth article and interview that we did uh, on the subject and also the interview with uh, Leo Gosses, who's the CEO of Mercy for Animals as well. So it's a really interesting project. We've all heard of the struggling family farm and the suffering of farmed animals. But what if we could solve both of these problems at the same time? A chicken farm could become a hemp farm, and a hog farm, a lettuce farm. With Mercy for Animals' revolutionary new Transformation Project, this is becoming a reality. Check out the transformationproject.org to learn more and get involved. Let's take a step back or take a step forward, uh, maybe maybe back actually, because it's in the past. But tell me about Saved by the Barn. You were the host of an amazing Animal Planet TV series about your wonderful endeavors. What was that like? When did the idea first come? And tell us a little bit about the experience of, of being on a TV show on one of the biggest and uh, most well-known channels on the planet. Yeah, uh, Saved by the Barn. That came about after a video went viral on the dodo. This guy left his nine to five tech job to rescue farm animals. He has no idea what he's doing. True to some <laughs> point, but I asked a lot of professionals on how to do it. So, you know, I, I led with the heart. But after that went viral, a lot of production companies reached out and asked about pitching a television show. I interviewed all these production companies and I actually chose a production company that I really liked out of Denver and they're called High Noon Productions and they uh, they shot and produced uh, Fixer Upper with Chip and jo- Joanna Gaines. They pitched to National Geographic Wild and Animal Planet. Animal Planet had a higher budget. They wanted 12 one hour long episodes. 
that's kind of what got that going. And we filmed for six months, you know, sometimes uh, five to seven days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day. Wow, Um, that's incredible. That's a lot of time. Yeah, especially, yeah, when you talk about TV shows or even when they shoot movies, that's a long time. They have a lot of footage (laughs) that didn't get aired. This is our first cockfighting rescue. It's It's like a milestone for us. It just sounds so violent. I mean, it is violent. Kelly and I are headed to Chicago to rescue a cockfighting rooster. I'm already afraid of all the roosters that we currently have on the property, and they're not even trained to fight. So the idea of rescuing a cockfighting rooster kind of makes me nervous. But these guys are in a bad situation, and we can help, so I'm all in. That video um, editor must have had a heart attack whenever the content came in. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, they had too much to work with, and uh, Animal Planet censored a lot of stuff. Censored you know? in what sense? In uh, protecting big ag. Yeah, you know, I, I think... There's, I feel there's an opinion piece there, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I have strong opinions. We welcome them. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know... We were on our way to pick up some cockfighting roosters out of Chicago. As I'm going down the freeway, I look off the freeway, you know, how here, you know, you turn around to get off the freeway a lot. There's a tipped over transport truck transporting um, retired sows, pig moms, and it tipped over. I pulled off. I have a trailer. I have a film crew. Uh, and this is a 12 person crew. You know, our audio's on and I'm in there and... They're filming. They they got this all in footage. And I go up to the, the trailer. You know, I look like a farmer. And I, that's great. That's key. It's looking like a farmer. Uh, <laughs> and because a bunch of farmers were out there trying to corral all the pigs. And there is a mom on the side, but l- alive. And I was like, I can take this pig. Uh, I have a trailer. Please help. And the guy took a deadbolt and killed the mom right in front of me. Uh, a deadbolt gun, you know, the one that punctured the head. And that was all on audio. And I turn over to my, sh- my shoulder and I look at our audio guy and he is bawling. I mean, you got to imagine all he does is listen to audio and the amount of screaming he heard from those pigs. But that footage is not going to see the light of day. Do um, they own the footage? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're not going to put that on Animal Planet. They're also not going to put on, you know, I think one of the reasons why we got picked up too was like, I really played low on veganism in the beginning but throughout the season i was able to include well where where would this rooster go if you don't get them i was like well they'll go to the slaughter they'll go get slaughtered uh you know at first i'd be like they'd be going to the market and then towards the end of the season i'm saying slaughtered you know we could have been way more aggressive on uh some of these stories like i mean hugo two neglected goats we rescued the farmer did something bad. It was animal cruelty, without a doubt. But the TV show made it sound like she was doing a good thing by giving them up. Yeah, yeah. it's all about narrative, isn't it? The, the meat industry and ag is, uh, particularly in America, is very good at narrative. And in fact, they have there's an entire sort of like skill set, and they're called front groups. Their whole function is pushing government to make changes to the law that protect animal agriculture. Um, yeah. One of my favorites is Rick Berman and the Center for Consumer Freedom. Uh, and if you're listening to this, I definitely would look up the story of Rick Berman and the work that he does, as well as the Center for Consumer Freedom, which is essentially a front group that looks like on the outside, when you look at it, it seems like something that's doing good for the consumer, that it is trying to fight for the rights of the consumer, but it is purely funded by the animal agriculture industry. And their job is to to destabilize support for for uh, vegan food, plant-based meats. Well, many of the organizations who are in their bullseye are animal rights organizations. And I'm sure one day you'll end up on their list, Dan, where they will uh, find a way oh, to kind of like, if it hasn't are. already happened. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Uh, our, this TV show, I got to tell you how many, there's a petition online to get a season two. And there's wow. over 30,000 signatures right now. I got a phone call from Animal Planet. They just said, and they want to move in a different direction. We were airing with the zoo, which is one of their most popular shows and getting, we were on their best rated new show. They canceled us. Perhaps because they were worried about where you might take the show. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we, you'd see me rescuing pigs and the pigs going out to their eight acre pasture in the new pig palace. And then they'd cut to a Carl's Jr. Double Western bacon cheeseburger ad. Yeah, a commercial, an ad. And I'm just like, if that doesn't get someone to think, 
uh, you know, and and so I think <laughs> oh, no. there is a thing of like their advertisers weren't super pleased because the majority of commercials are fast food. Wow. Um, and wow. so I really think, yeah, that was the case. It was interesting. What, uh, what just, I mean, it just blows my mind. I mean, I could spend, I could spend hours talking to you about this stuff because it's <sighs> the capitalist monster that has embedded itself in American society, particularly the food system. So after they canceled our show, I saw that they greenlit a show called Pig Royalty, and it's about youngsters showing their pigs at 4-H fairs and preparing them to go to the market. Oh, my God. Mom, you got to look good to show good. Every kid nowadays, if they don't have a mullet, they have a perm. The prizes, the buckles, you know, everybody covets that. We want y'all to win so bad that we can taste it. Come on, look it! Come on! on. They want to beat us, we want to beat them. When you win, you have a target on your back. Remember, lots are at stake here. People might want me to go away, but I'm not going anywhere. Mind your pig business and we'll mind our pig business. And if they don't stay in their lane, we will put them in their lane. It is like, what's that one show? Like Honey Boo Boo, you know, the dumb of the dumb reality that is the worst for society. That's what they put on there. That's what they greenlit. And so I was just like, I don't want to be on Animal Planet if they ever come back. Yeah. So Wow. Honestly, that's that's incredible. I mean, if we can if we can find a way to fund another season obviously maybe not with tw- a 12 crew but if there's a way to fund a second season for a web series um oh, for sure you need to make it happen I- i'd love to i'd have to help you do that in some way because i just think that you know who who needs these these networks and their controlling ways your content does exceptionally well on social i know you probably are very pressed for, as a team and sometimes it can be challenging continuing to make more and more content because i think social networks can definitely feel a lot like a treadmill we certainly feel it you know here at pbn like we're, we're a team of 15 now we, we started with just wow. three of us uh, but we've had to grow because obviously being able to keep up the pace but also to be able to keep up with the changes of the social algorithms as well because they're all about like pushing you to create more and more and more and more. Um, and it can be very, it can be relentless. Um, but also at the same time, it's a powerful medium. It's allowed you to reach, it's helped you to reach millions of people and connect with the hearts and minds of millions of people. So, you know, it's definitely a fantastic tool. But one of the other things that I, that I loved about what you've done recently is this kid's book, This Farm is a Family. Um, I've always loved the idea of creating vegan content for children. There really isn't enough. Uh, and maybe we can talk offline about how we could create you know, vegan content for children with PBN and Barn Sanctuary, because I really want to create short form video content animation for kids on PBN that parents can use for their children, use it as ways to educate kids about animals and talk to, you know, we can animate pigs and cows and chickens and get them to tell stories, even if it's just 90 seconds, you know, three minute long video, super short, because I just think that it's so important if we're going to change the world we have to start with children i mean adults obviously can change people can change we change later in life but i think if we really want to create a a huge shift in our society we've got to get our kids to see beyond beyond the sort of the mirage of the of, of what's sort of fed to them but tell me about the book i'd love to hear about where the idea came from and 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 yeah. how it it was received i looked on amazon here in the uk and it's got hundreds of reviews five star <laughs> reviews of families talking about how beautiful it is and how they love reading yeah. it to their children and you know it's touched a lot of people it's unbelievable uh you know number one thing that people also told me like since starting the sanctuary and hearing these rescue stories is like you need to create a kid's book you need to create a kid's book i'm not a kid's i'm not an author what's great about writing a kid's book is i was never good at english in in high school or grade school. And so I'm, uh, I'm glad I can uh, write a book for four to eight year olds, because uh, that is my uh, <laughs> literary level. Uh, and so I, I created uh, an idea and a template and a story about Buttercup, who's one of our newest rescues. I made it a little personal, like a personal experience I had growing up as a kid was I would move around a lot and, you know, every few years in a different state to a new school. And I always was scared about going to a new school. I would get stressed. I would have anxiety from it. And so this is really about welcoming a new kid in school or, you know, don't make fun of them, but, you know, be compassionate, uh, welcome them. And so it's about all the residents here at the sanctuary and they all have unique voices welcoming Buttercup, who's very anxious and scared to uh, be basically the new kid the new cow at the sanctuary. And so, yeah, uh, I was, uh, put in contact with, uh, 
a publishing company uh, called uh, Zonders Kids. Uh, they're owned by Harper Collins. The rest is kind of history. Our illustrator, Denise Hughes, is out of the UK and she did an amazing job. I absolutely love her. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I have kids coming out on tours asking me to sign their book <laughs> that you know their parents read them every single night. Mm. And so um, I'm really excited to work on uh, the next ones. I've got ideas and of what I want to write. Uh, I, I think having an animated short series is genius. I think I, I would love to help and partake. I know a couple of well-known voice actors and actresses too that would participate. Well, we so. can we can work on that with you. I'd love to work on that with you, a co, co-production with BBN and Barn Sanctuary. Um, yeah. we, we've got two, two very talented animators who work with us who are very, very creative and, and obviously myself being art director and digital creative as well. Yeah. Um, I've done a, quite, we've done quite a bit of animation at PBN. I'd love to share some of that with you, but yeah, I, I think captivating children is not easy and, you know, attention spans are shrinking by the hour, it may seem. <laughs> Yeah. When it comes to animals, children are completely transfixed by them. And I think no matter how distracted your kids may be, when you start talking about animals or showing them animals, they are. It's so magnetic. Obviously, it's important to have a message. What is the sort of key message that runs through the book? And like, what are we trying to educate people? What are you trying to tell children in this book? Be compassionate. I mean, literally, I mean, it's 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 kind of like the vegan movement, you know, being compassionate towards all living individuals. And that goes with kids, uh, treating kids with uh, respect and love and compassion and uh, welcoming them, no matter uh, how, where the kid came from, what language they speak, how they look or anything like that. It's, it's really just be compassionate. I love that. Another question for you, which is a more broader one. Uh, what are some of the biggest things that animals have taught you? That's a good question. They've really taught me to trust. They trust me right off the bat, usually. <laughs> Sometimes they don't, like Buttercup, who wanted to uh, like mull me over. Over time, <laughs> they trusted me. Like they give someone second chances because they could be coming out of a really horrific place. You know, let's be real. Every human looks the same to them, probably in a way at first until they get to know them and then they can trust faces. And so it's really to trust. And it taught me to my childhood and growing up, you know, trust was always an issue for me to trust humans, to trust that humans can do the right thing long term, especially when it comes to animal agriculture and eating them is like to really trust that things are going in the right direction. They taught me to trust. They taught me to love and show love. You know, I never shared anything on social media a lot before I started the sanctuary. Uh, but like, Cora laying her head on my shoulder for the first time, Cora the cow. That was one of our first viral videos. And like, I just wanted to show the world that, oh my gosh, cows do this because it was the first experience I felt because I, I didn't grow up with farm animals. The first cow I ever touched was Cora when we rescued her. And so I treated her like Luna, the great Dane that we had. Yeah, love and trust. That's what they really have taught me. And it's okay to be vulnerable. Man, they've taught me so much. I'm going to keep going uh, to be vulnerable. Uh, I love it. And it's it's okay to be weak, but communicate. Yeah, vulnerability uh, and resilient. Be resilient. Yeah. There's so much, isn't there? That's the thing that can give us so much. And, you know, people have asked me this question many times about how animals can heal human beings. And it's what everything that you just said. You know, these are some of the most powerful lessons that we can take as human beings or be given, should I say, from animals are these these powerful lessons. Because I think in our human society where we're so busy and running around and building and creating and buying and being something that we can forget about the precious nature of life and that it's so transient and short you know particularly for animals most animals don't live anywhere near as long as we do they have ridiculously short lives i mean compared to us most animals i hate the fact that my cat is only going to live 15 16 years a 17 years if she's lucky maybe more if i'm really lucky i i'm completely obsessed with her she is like my child and the thought of leaving her at any point fills me with anxiety but that's what love is isn't it it's this beautiful attachment this connection um, and you have had so many wonderful children and have many wonderful children that yeah. you are, that you look after and that you, that you nourish. But before I let you go, I always like to ask my guests this one final question. If you were stuck on a desert island and it was just you and a pig, obviously, if anyone has listened to this before, you know what's coming. Uh, you're not going to eat the pig because you're vegan, obviously. But if I could give you one book, one music album or one music artist and one vegan dish, what would you take with you? Oh, man. Okay. Eggplant Parmesan. Uh, you know, vegan, 
obviously it would be the dish because i know uh me and little dude the pig would just eat that up <laughs> one book i mean i'll have to say uh this farm is a family because uh, <laughs> little dude is in it and he wa- he loves knowing how popular he is and what was it musical album or artist or artist that one's hard and i don't even know if they're vegan that's a sad thing you think i would research if my favorite artist was vegan i'm a huge fan of dave matthews And my, also my best friend, Bryce Vine. <laughs> I miss you a little, all of the time. I say that I hate you, but you stay on my mind. Every time we talk, I say that I'm fine. But I miss you a little, all of the time. I miss you a little, all of the time. I say that I hate you, but you stay on my mind. Every time we talk, I say that I'm fine. But I miss you a little, Thank you so much, Dan, for joining us on the PBN podcast. An hour has flown by. I'd love to do another episode with you at some point soon because there's so much more to talk about. But it's been a real pleasure to talk to you, my friend. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed the episode. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie, and this is the PBN podcast. We'll be back next week with more food, fashion, animals, technology, and everything in between. Mm-hmm.